Well, good morning, Grace Church. It is good to see you all here today. Many, many years ago, when we were in the church in Baker, um, Brother Alexander, whom you've heard us talk so much about, a true pillar of the church, oftentimes he would walk around, like many of you have done already this morning, he'd walk around at church time and he would come up to you with a smile and he would say, congratulations on being you. Now, who couldn't use that kind of encouragement, right? I mean, you, you just feel like, you know, you were it at that point. So I'm going to invite you today to look at somebody nearby and just tell them, congratulations on being you. There's nobody else like you. I see, don't you just feel better? Yeah. Hey, let's clap our heads. That's right. Congratulate one another. I love it. I love it. But see, it made you feel good, and Brother Alexander had that way. But hey, I'll just tell you from the pulpit, congratulations on being you. Let me remind you of a couple of things before we change the order of the service. Uh, this Tuesday, of course, is morning prayer here at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary. And if your schedule allows, we would love for you to come and be a part of that. I've been hearing some great reports from our Tuesday prayer. Um, uh, God is moving and hearing prayer. And so put that on your calendar. Next Sunday, this time next Sunday, we'll be having a baked goods silent auction there in Grand Central. What that means is you'll just kind of go by and uh, place a bid on the, uh, on the baked goods. This goes to move the mission. And uh, if you would like to be a part of that in terms of baking or cooking or providing, things to be auctioned and eaten, then just see Sister Tanya Coley and she'll give you all the instructions on how to be a part of that. And then as Pastor mentioned on Wednesday night, uh, he'll be starting a Bible study, Search for Truth Bible study on Sunday, June the 4th uh, at 10 o'clock during Sunday school time in classroom two, which is right behind the sanctuary. And that'll be at 10 o'clock a.m. as I said. If you want to be a part of that, there are a few slots left. You do need to sign up with the church office, so let Sister Sheila know in the church office. Final announcement, if you don't know already, Kids Camp starts June the 5th, goes through June the 9th, first week of June. It is time for a youth camp. Can you believe it? Here we are. It is right around the corner. Amen. Amen. If you have not registered yet, now's the time. I would, I would say you probably have a small window of opportunity to get registered for camp, but that is closing. It is upon us, so make your plans accordingly. Amen. Stand with me. Uh, if you would, I do want to uh, want us to go to the Lord in prayer. As we start this service, I would like us, of course, to pray for the service that God's will will be done, that his anointing would uh, be here and that we would be blessed by his spirit. But also there's been a very special request that has been turned in. They are counting on, these folks are counting on the church to pray. These are relatives of Sister Sheila Landry, um, and the, the gentleman's name is Michael Dagrapont, and he is in uh, surgery now for a brain tumor at this hour, in surgery right now for a brain tumor, and they have asked the church to pray, and so we're going to touch God for, for this need for Michael Dagrapont and ask God to work on his behalf. Would you join me in doing that today? Jesus, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving. We enter into your courts with praise. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good, and you are God. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and grace. I pray, God, you would move across this building today. Let your will be done. Let us see a manifestation of your presence. Lord, I pray for Michael Dagrapont today. God, even now as he is in surgery, 
that you would heal to the uttermost, God, that there would be a miracle performed in his life. We believe you for it. We call on the name of Jesus for it, God. Move, Lord, like only you can, according to your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. The scripture says, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, sometimes we have to kind of stir up our praise a little bit. Paul told Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that is in you. Sometimes I think our our praise, our worship, you know, sometimes we just got to kick it into gear a little bit. But the Bible says, I will. I'll make the conscious decision to be glad and to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. So the praise team's going to lead us in worship today. I'm challenging you to stir up your praise, stir up your worship, and let's see what God will do today. Clap your hands to Jesus as the praise team comes.
Hallelujah, Lord. We magnify the name of Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we exalt the only high name of Jesus, the only name that can save. We give the name of Jesus glory in the house this morning.
Yes. Mm-hmm. 
atmosphere we are going to go right to the word of God not a lot of preliminary remarks today other than to say that I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to share this word with you Psalm chapter 23 verses 1 through 6 reading from the King James today David said the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Going over to James chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, James wrote, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, every good gift And every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I love this passage from the message paraphrase. It says, so my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. and There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. We're going to pray in just a moment, but today I want to talk to you about battlefield banquets, good gifts in bad times. Let's pray together. Lord, let your word be heard in this house today. Lord, for every warrior that's been on the battlefield just fighting, and they are tired, they're covered in the effects of battle. Lord, they came in today really not even knowing what it is they're doing here. Lord, hoping to hear something from you, I pray that this word would go deep into their heart, that you would do something lasting and permanent in their life today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated today. In August of 2011, my dad went into the emergency room due to what we would find out later was kidney failure. Both of his kidneys had completely shut down. And uh, we were told that he would need dialysis at least two times a week for the rest of his life. 
but that his health would improve significantly. Dad had, over the past year, displayed some troubling symptoms, a lot of mental fog and a lot of just physical frailty. And the kidney specialist told us that you're going to get your dad back. There's going to be better mental clarity, and his physical health is going to get better. Yes, he's going to need to do dialysis. His kidneys are so scarred that they're never going to work again, but there's hope here because he'll get better. And about 12 hours after his first dialysis treatment, it was around 1 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, Dad experienced what the ER staff uh, called a global anoxic event. And uh, that basically means that he quit breathing and uh, nobody knew why. They were able to resuscitate him, but Dad had been without oxygen for so long that he had significant damage to his brain. All of the higher order brain functions were gone. The things that made Billy, Billy weren't there anymore. He would respond to stimulus, bright light, loud noise, but was much like an infant. And they had to sedate him in order to be able to care for him. And so those days with dad sedated in ICU uh, were just a very strange and surreal time for our family. Just waiting at the hospital, praying, crying, putting on brave faces, updating people, telling the story over and over and over again, waiting on the next scan to take place and for the results to come in and for the doctor's consultation to see if there had been any change, if dad had improved or if he had a chance to improve. And it, y'all, it's just exhausting. I don't think I have ever been that tired in my life before or since then, that hospital grind is just unlike anything else. And some of you know what I'm talking about. So at some point during those days between Dad's anoxic event and our decision to move him to hospice care, a guy by the name of Seth Ott showed up at the hospital. Now, Seth was a former student of mine whenever I was still in the classroom. And he had graduated, gone on to school and was serving as a youth pastor at one of the local churches in the Watson area. And we, we'd had a lot of hospital visitors. Some of you, uh, we were very new to Grace Church at that point, but some of you came to the hospital. And every single visitor was appreciated and, and helpful. And they, they brought things. They brought cards. They brought gifts. They brought plants. They brought food. But Seth's visit was a little bit different. Because when he came, he brought a little gift box, a little hospital care package made specifically for the people that were sitting at the hospital. And, and it, it, it wasn't fancy. It wasn't pretty. It looked a lot like this right here. Fellas, y'all excuse me. It looked like something a dude had put together. There, there, was no, there was no fancy wrapping paper. There was no bow. There was none of the little frilly tissue paper down in there. It, it looked about like this right here. On the outside, it, it didn't look like much. There was no color coordination to be seen at all. But when I lifted the, the plastic lid on that container and opened it up and looked at the contents, 
I saw some coloring books made for grown people with a little pack of Crayola uh, colored pencils and a pencil sharp. Now, these were the Crayola pencils, not the cheapo ones that you get at, at Dollar General. These were the good colored pencils. And, and there was a couple of Sudoku books in there with a pack of mechanical pencils, and it was the ones that had the good erasers, and that's important because we know how Coop is whenever it comes to numbers and math. There, there was a book of crossword puzzles. There was a roll of quarters for the vending machine. And there was some Dove dark chocolate, which is, that was a personal touch because Seth knew me from our time together in the classroom, and he knew about my problem with dark chocolate. My problem is I can't leave it alone. And he put some of that in there for me. And there was a little prayer book, a little promise book type thing in there, and there was a little note from the church that just said, we're praying for you and your family. And all together, y'all, the, the roll of quarters included that little hospital gift-sitting box probably cost $25, $30 at the most. That was over a decade ago. So the price may, may have gone up a little bit since then. But I want to tell you the impact that that little box made was priceless. Because 10 years, a little bit more than 10 years ago, and I'm still talking about it. Matter of fact, my good friend Nathan Henson said, haven't you told that story before? I'm like, yeah, I've definitely told that story before. I'm going to tell it again. A lot of the details of those days have faded for me, but I still remember that gift and how it made me feel. It made me feel seen. It made me feel supported. It made me feel cared for. It was a very kind, a very thoughtful gift. It was a good gift. Didn't look like much, but it was an appropriate gift. It was a perfect gift in a bad time. And days later, whenever dad was in hospice, his brother Dean showed up with bags of Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits. Grace Church, never underestimate the ministering power of a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit. But those things carry a special anointing. I don't know what it is, but there's something special about them. And if those days in the hospital had been difficult and exhausting, I don't even know what to call those hospice days. They were in a different league. But every morning that I was there at the hospice facility, before anyone else would show up, before anyone else would call or text to check on dad, here would come Uncle Dean with his bag full of Chick-fil-A biscuits. They were just more good gifts in a very bad time. I'm reaching today for some people who are battle-weary. You're tired, man. You are exhausted in ways that you did not even know existed before right now. You have been in the fight of your life. It has been a legit, prolonged battle for your faith, your identity, your future, your kids, your physical health, your sanity. And it's not just been one battle either. It has been a season of battles for you. Months, maybe even years at this point, fighting stuff that you never saw coming. A time when it has just been fight after fight after fight. Some of you have been battling old habits, 
old thought patterns, the residual effects of abuse and neglect and trauma. Some of you have been dealing with abandonment issues, fighting just to keep hope alive in your life. And God has not been saying a lot. And it sure doesn't seem like he's been doing anything other than letting your world just turn itself upside down. I feel like I have come with some help for you today. Something that goes beyond just a word of encouragement. Something that goes beyond just a Sunday. And if you will hang with me for a little while and be up to the challenge of shifting your framework and perspective just a little bit. I believe God wants to do a deep work in your heart here today. So let's get to it. Psalm 23 is one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. But I want to key in specifically on the first half of verse 5 and what it really means. This has always been... I look, These girls down here are keeping the paper companies in business, and I love it. Taking notes. This is a good one to take notes on. This has always been such a, a strange passage of scripture to me. David wrote in, in 23 and 5, he wrote, thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Now isn't that just, I mean, isn't that just a little bit strange? Isn't that an unusual visual image that David's creating here? Who sits down to eat whenever there are enemies around? And for that matter, who prepares a table for somebody else to eat at whenever there are enemies about? That, that's not where I want to eat. Man, I want to eat at home. I want to eat where I'm comfortable. I, I want to eat with my friends and my family with, a, with lots of laughter and lots of good stories and lots of inside jokes. Maybe better than that, I want to go to my friend's house and eat where all I have to do is just show up and consume. That's my kind of deal. I like that. This is a weird situation that David is describing here. I need y'all to, to hang with me for just a little bit on this because it's language lesson time and we are going deep. David, thank you. David said thou, thou being God, being the Lord, being the Almighty, being Yahweh, Elohim, the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient one, he is the one who is doing this thing. David acknowledged that God is the one who is doing this work. Well, what's he doing? David said, thou preparest. That Hebrew word is alrak. It means to arrange, to put, or lay in order, to ordain, handle, or furnish. This work that God is doing is not some kind of happy accident. It is planned, it is ordered, it is prepared, it is arranged with purpose and intent. God set this table on purpose. He planned it, he arranged it, and he placed it in a specific way, at a specific place, in a specific time for you. Now even better, that Hebrew word alrak is a verb and it is present tense. That present tense verb carries an implication. God, you're not going to do it. 
You're doing it right now. You're not just getting something ready at some point in the future. You're already at work. You're setting the table in order right now. That means that it's relevant to my current needs. That means it's going to minister to me and what I need right now. It's going to give me what I need right now in this moment. Thou preparest what? Thou preparest a table. Hebrew word there is shulkan. That's a cool word. Look at your neighbor. Tell him shulkan. I hope I'm saying that right. Y'all know what that word means? Y'all know what shulkan really means? It means table. Yeah. It means table. But, but not just an empty, plain, bare table. This is a table as in one that has been spread out. Or by implication, one that's been spread out and made ready for a meal or with a meal. So God's not setting out a blank bare table and expecting you to furnish the food. This isn't some kind of divine potluck that he's setting in order. He's making sure he's about to take care of you. He's making sure that your table is stocked and loaded. Now, I really like this third definition because it says of a king's table, private use and sacred. So this just isn't any old banquet table. This table is a king's table. This table is for royalty only. Only certain people get to sit down and eat at this table. It's a special table. It's a sacred table. One that has been set aside and intended for a certain kind of person, battlefield royalty. Thou preparest a table. Where? David said before. The Hebrew word there is pawneen. It literally means face, as in the part that turns whenever you move your head. But it also means in front of, before, to the front of, in the presence of, in the face of, at the face or front of, from the presence of, from before, from before the face of. That's a lot of fronts and faces and befores. The table... Here's the implication. David's saying, God, the table that you are preparing is in front of me, not behind me. You don't have to go backward to get what you need. You don't have to retreat, and you don't have to leave the battlefield. You don't have to go back to, a, come on, somebody. You don't have to go back to a previous experience. You don't have to return to a previous relationship. You don't have to go back to an old revelation. It is in front of you. You don't have to back up. You don't have to withdraw. David said, God, you're not giving me a reason to turn back. Not even in the heat of the battle that I've been in. Instead, you are giving me every incentive to keep facing forward. And if I'm going to access what you have prepared for me, God, then I've got to understand it is before me and not behind me. David said, thou preparest a table before me. Where? He said presence. That word there is neged. It means in the sight of or in the presence of. Well, in the sight of who? And in the presence of who? David said, mine enemies. Sorar is a Hebrew word there. Sorar. Comes from a primitive root word that literally means to cramp. You ever had a cramp? You ever had one of those 2 a.m. calf cramps? Wait, you will pray to Jesus in ways... You have never prayed to Jesus in your life. 
when whenever one of those grabs a hold of you. That's what David's talking about, the cramp. It means to bind, to make narrow, to confine, to confine, to harass, or vex. What's been binding you, what's been confining you, what's been limiting you, what's been making it painful for you to move, what's been harassing you and vexing you. Yeah, that's the enemy David's talking about, that enemy. That one that's like a cramp, keeping you from moving the way you want to move, keeping you hurting and suffering from residual pain after the initial injury. That enemy. David said, you're preparing it right in front of, right inside of that enemy. God, that's where you're doing this work. Now, class, you've been doing good so far. Let's put it all together. David said, all-knowing, all-powerful God, you are arranging a stocked and loaded banquet table in my honor right now at this very moment. It's a bad time, God. I'm in the presence of my enemies, facing down the ones who hinder me and harass me all the time. Those enemies that cause me so much pain and frustration, but you're getting a table ready. And it's not just any table. It's a sacred, specific table. A table that's fit for royalty. And I might not look like royalty right now and I might not feel much like royalty right now because I've been in the fight for a while God but you're arranging it you're planning it you're setting it in order specifically just for me Nobody expects to see a banquet table in the middle of a battlefield, God. But that's exactly what you're doing for me. For me, I don't have to stress out. I don't have to wear myself out. I don't have to come to my own rescue. And I don't have to provide my own solutions. God, you're not just my defender, but you are my provider right here in the middle of this battlefield where I'm fighting for my dignity, where I'm fighting for my identity, where I'm fighting for my health. God, you're throwing me a party in the middle of a combat zone, a banquet in the middle of my battlefield. Oh, it's a bad time, God. But you're putting together something good right in front of me, right in the middle of it all. Somebody praise the Lord right now. All right. Well, cool. What's on the table? What are the good gifts in a bad time that God gives? Now look, I could preach this next part so many different ways. I could just about write a book at this point. But y'all relax, I'm not about to preach the whole Bible. But I want to take a little bit of time with this next bit because I really... I want you to see, I want you to see just a few of the good gifts that God gives to His children. His children, the ch- children just like you and just like me, we're in, the, we're in the middle of a bad time. Let's go back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, man, they blew it big time. God gave them one commandment. One. Everything you see in the garden is yours. 
But that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree. You can look at it. You can smell it. God didn't say all this. But the implication there is the only thing you don't need to do is eat it. And what did they do? They did the one thing that God said not to do. It is one of the most atrocious, if not the most atrocious failure in human history. And afterwards they were afraid. They were ashamed. They were in hiding. And they stood in judgment and reaped the consequences of their sin. And so there's Adam and Eve in the just the darkest depths of their failure and shame. And you know what God did? He covered them. Genesis 3.21 says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. It was a bad time. It was the worst time in their lives up to that point. But even in their failure, even in their sin, even in their shame, even in all of the fallout that came about as a result of their bad decisions, God provided them a covering. Somebody needs to hear this today. Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you blew it. Yes, there have been consequences, and they're very real. It's a bad time, but it's not over because God does not just write people off because they failed. God provides a covering. Yes, he does. Let me show you one more. Genesis chapter 7, Noah. Noah in the ark. You've been in, in church five minutes. You've heard this story. God sent a flood to wipe out all of humanity because they were so evil. That's a bad time. But Noah had a boat for himself and his family, an ark, a place of safety and a place of refuge in a very bad time. Whenever the rest of the world was absolutely drowning in judgment, God provided a good gift, a place of protection and safety. And sometimes it smelled, and sometimes it was rocky, and sometimes it was confining. And Noah couldn't control it because it didn't have a rudder. He had no way to control where it went, but it was still a good gift in a bad time. Church, we have a place of community, a place of belonging. We've got an ark of safety. And I know that the church isn't perfect because it's made up of flawed humanity. But you are better in it than you are out of it. There is a place, an ark of safety, a good gift that God has provided. And no, you can't control it and make it go the way you want it to go. And sometimes it gets stinky and smelly. And sometimes it's a little bit rocky and contentious. But this is a good gift that God has provided to his children in the middle of a very bad time. 
Yeah. I believe it. Second Samuel 12. King David is confronted by the prophet Nathan. Nathan the prophet goes in and calls David out for his sins of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. That's a bad time. But David found a place of repentance and restoration as a result of confrontation. We're going to turn up the heat on this one just a little bit. In Psalm 51, David wrote, and if you look in your Bible, there's a little heading at the top, and it will say something like, a psalm of repentance of King David after being confronted by Nathan the prophet. In Psalm 51, David wrote, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's a bad time in David's life. The child that was born of his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba had just died. His sin was out, man. People knew about it. They were talking about it. David was covered in guilt and shame. But in the middle of his bad time, God provided a pathway to him through the confrontation of a preacher that led him to the good gift of repentance. Look, you don't have to wallow in the misery of your mistakes today. You don't have to keep carrying the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that comes along with what you did or what you didn't do. And I'm not trying to be confrontational today, so if it's coming across that way, please excuse me and see me later. We'll talk about it. But God's trying to provide somebody a pathway to restoration today. You don't have to stay in that place of shame. You don't have to stay in that place of guilt. There's a pathway pathway it's a good gift of repentance it's a good gift called repentance we're doing all right acts chapter 2 oh the initial outpouring of the holy ghost people speaking in tongues three thousand at a time now that was a good gift but it came in the middle of a bad time Jesus had just ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. He was gone. He wasn't dead, but he wasn't there with them anymore. And on top of that, he told them to go back to Jerusalem. I don't want you to leave and go anywhere else. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. The setting for all of this turmoil, the same place where you saw me crucified and you've got all of those memories of pain and trauma, this place of persecution. I want you to go back to that place. And wait. Boy, we love to wait, don't we? Jesus told them, you stay right here where all of the problems are, where all of the persecution is, and you wait. I want you to wait for something. And I'm even going to tell you what it is, but you're not going to know what it is. Because it's not going to make sense to you. We like to gloss over the details. But they went back to Jerusalem and waited ten Days, praying and having a church business meeting. Ugh. And waiting. 
They waited 10 days. We don't like to wait 10 minutes. They waited 10 days. And in the middle of their waiting, when Jesus wasn't with them like he had been in the past, when they couldn't see him or hear him or touch him like they were used to, when it looked like Jesus had disappeared and all they were doing was just waiting, in the middle of that place of persecution, God sends them the good gift of the Holy Ghost. And he called it a comforter. That's a good gift. But it came in the middle of a bad time. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas thrown in prison. Oh, we Pentecostals will preach this one. Had the crowd and the local rulers raise up against them because they cast the demonic spirit out of a young girl, and the Bible says that many stripes were laid upon them. That means they beat them really bad. And then they were thrust into the inner prison. That means they weren't just in jail, they were in the hole. And it says that they made their feet fast in stocks. So that means they bound their feet up in hardwood or hard metal bonds. So they beat them, beat their backs raw, put them in the hole inside the prison, and then lock their feet up in stocks. And then, this blows my mind, Paul and Silas start singing praises to God at midnight. Kudos to them, probably wouldn't have done it. Wouldn't have been that spiritual, I'm just telling you. But they start singing praises to God around midnight, and what happens? Come on, Bible scholars. It says an earthquake that was so violent, it shakes the very foundations of the prison and looses everyone's bonds. Now, how bad does something have to shake so that chains and bonds start falling off and cell doors start opening up? But not just Paul and Silas's bonds and not just their jail cell door. Uh-uh, sweetheart, this is everybody's. The guys you don't want to meet in the dark alley, the thieves, the murderers, the rapists, they're loose too. Now, does that sound like a good time to you? Because it sounds awful to me. But God gave them the good gift of friendship, companionship. You're not going to go through this one alone, Paul. You're not. You're going to have some times later on when you're by yourself. But on this one, Paul, you got somebody with you. Silas, you're not doing this one by yourself. It's a bad time. There's false narratives and unjustified beatings and wounds you didn't deserve and persecution for trying to do God's work and earthquakes and prison riots and sketchy people. But I've given you the good gift of a friend. Someone to just come along beside you, to be with you, and share the burden in the middle of your bad time. Look, I, I can't explain this one the really, really the way that I want to, but there have been times in my life where God has sent me somebody just to send a text. Man, are you doing okay? Not really. Can we talk about it? Just, just to come up and pray for you. You weren't even expected, and they start reading your mail. 
Not because they know where you've been living, but because God's giving them insight. Just somebody to check on you and let you know that you are loved and cared about. It's a friend, a companion in the middle of a bad time that is a gift from God. Is that too simple? It's so profound. Let me do one more and I'm going to quit. Y'all y'all been hanging in there. Y'all, y'all doing a good job. But I... I saved a really hard one for last. And I'm really going to try my best to challenge your perspective on this one. In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah is on the run from Queen Jezebel. Now, in the previous chapter, Elijah had stood on top of the mountain against 450 prophets of Baal and called down fire from heaven that was so hot it consumed not just the sacrifice, but the altar and all of the water that was around the altar. That is a miraculous moment, and there's nothing else like it anywhere else in Scripture. But one chapter later, chapter 19, Elijah is running for his life because Jezebel had sent word via a messenger to say, what you did to my prophets... I'm going to do to you by this time tomorrow. So now, in chapter 19, Elijah is alone. He left his servant behind, and he just wants to die. Read it in Scripture right there in 1 Kings 19 and 4. It says, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, that's enough. God, that's enough. Take away my life For I am not better than my father's. God, I've had enough. God, just kill me now. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of somebody. Somebody needs to listen. Five verses later, at this point, as far as I can tell from Scripture, Elijah has had one meal in 40 days. He's running for his life. And he's hiding in a cave. The Bible says he lodged there. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's a rhetorical question. God's not asking Elijah because God doesn't know the answer. God's asking the question because he wants to know if Elijah knows the answer. What are you doing here, Elijah? You think you're here because you're out of options. (laughs) You think you're here because you don't have anywhere else to go. But you're really here in this cave to get some revelation. And Elijah's honest answer to God in this moment reveals his mindset. I'm going to read it from the message, but it's found in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. Elijah says, I have been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies. But the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. God, I put my heart on the line for you. I put my life on the line for you. And it hasn't done me any good because now here I am all alone in this cave. So God tells Elijah to go stand at the mouth of the cave. Scripture says in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 through 12. We'll go back to the King James for this one. He said, this is God talking to Elijah. Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Go out of your cave, Elijah. Stand on the mountain. 
And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So Elijah is hiding in a cave, suicidal and hungry, and then he witnesses outside his cave a wind that is so strong, it is literally breaking the mountain in pieces, but God wasn't in that. And then there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in that either. And if that's not enough, then there came a fire, but God wasn't in that either. Now, does that sound like a good time to you? Because it sounds terrible to me. Hungry, alone, scared for my life, feeling like I would rather die than keep going one more day. Hostile conditions like I have never seen. Wind so strong, the rocks are shattering, earthquakes, and now a fire, and God isn't anywhere in any of it. That sounds like a bad time. Sounds like the whole world is falling apart and a fire is burning up the leftovers. So where's the good gift in the middle of all that, Jason? Where's God's goodness whenever it's all flying apart and burning up? Watch this. 1 Kings 19, 12 through 13. And after the fire, still small voice. Here it comes, watch. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. My question, class, as we get ready to close, where was Elijah during the rock-breaking wind and during the earthquake And during the fire, where was Elijah? He says it right there in the text. He was in the cave. Now this is is going to get a little sticky theologically. Because God had told him at the beginning of verse 11 to go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. God told Elijah to go stand outside of his cave. But apparently, Elijah didn't do that. Because in verse 13, it says, When Elijah heard the still small voice, he went and stood in the entering in of the cave. Now here's the point. Elijah didn't get it right. I am not advocating for disobedience. I'm showing you grace. If Elijah had gone outside and stood on the mountain like God told him, I have to believe that somehow God would have protected him from the flying rocks and the strong wind and the earthquake and the fire. I have to believe that because his purpose wasn't done in Elijah's life yet. But Elijah still chose to stay in the cave. And God covered it. He could have expelled Elijah from that cave. 
He could have broken that cave wide open. He was destroying rocks and the mountains with the wind and shaking the ground with earthquakes. God could have wrecked that cave. He could have exposed Elijah to all of that stuff going on in his environment. That wouldn't have been a problem. But God didn't do that. And it was grace in a cave of Elijah's own choosing. Now look, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. I am not telling you to be disobedient. If God tells you to do something, you need to do it. It's in your best interest to do so. But we've all had times where we didn't, haven't we? Haven't we had times where we just didn't follow through because we were scared, because we were tired, because we were lonely, because we just had enough? And God says, you know what, Elijah? Get it, man. I know you're in the middle of a bad time. I know I told you to step out of that cave. And I know I'm doing some wild stuff that you've never seen before. I'm really shaking the world up around you. But I can see you're just not quite ready to come out of that cave yet. But that's okay, Elijah. I'm going to cover it. You stay in that place where you feel protected. Because you're going to recognize my voice eventually. And you're going to come out. We both know you can't stay there because I've still got some more things for you to do. That cave that you're in, you think you're choosing it. That cave is my gift of grace to you. My good gift to you. In the middle of a bad time. Y'all stand with me today. I hope you can see it today. I, I don't know if I could have preached it any harder. I probably could have preached it shorter. But I hope you can see that there, there are always good gifts from God in bad times, in our worst times. Perfect gifts that are exactly what you need. And sometimes we don't see it till later. Most of the time, we can't recognize a good gift for what it is at the time. Sometimes they're gifts that are only intended for a season, a season of battle, a season of turmoil and unrest. But he still gives good gifts. James said good gifts and perfect gifts, even in the middle of bad times. So you challenge today, Grace Church. It's to see the gift. See the gift. It may, not, it may not look like much on the outside. It may not even look, look like a gift at all. See the gift. Unwrap the gift. Because what's on the inside is personal. Put together and arranged and ordered just for you. Because he knows exactly what you need. See the gift. Unwrap the gift. Enjoy the gift. Thank Him for the gift. I know it's hard to see it, and it's hard sometimes to be thankful whenever you're in the heat of battle. It's a, it's a real challenge to open a gift whenever you're in the heat of battle. 
to see it for what it is sometimes, but I got to know, where are you at today, battlefield royalty? I know it doesn't seem like a likely place, but God has a banquet prepared for you, a place of nourishment ready that is exactly what you need. Don't turn back. It is right there in front of you. Come to the table. Come to the table. Come on, somebody. There is nothing deceitful about God. He's not fickle. He's not two-faced. He's not taking you for a ride and going to leave you hanging and leave you shortchanged. That's not who he is. No matter how bad your times look right now. Did you blow it? Did you do that one thing that God told you not to do? God's got you covered. Come open the gate. There's a place of safety and security, a community of belonging. Come open the gift. There's a place of repentance and restoration waiting. God's provided a pathway. Come open the gift. There's a place of power and a place of revelation waiting. Come open the gift. There's a place of grace, a place of covering and protection for you. Come open the gift. God has something ready for you. God has something prepared for you. God has something good for you. Even in the middle of your bad time. So Grace Church, I'll just end it this way. Who wants to come eat? Who wants to come open the gift? Who wants to thank Him? Because now I see it. God, I, I didn't see it before today, but, but there's been a gift here for me in the middle of this bad time and I can see your hand at work thank you thank you some of you starting to get it God in the heat of battle it's hard to throw up my hands and say thank you but I can see your hand at work there's been a friend by me there's been a place of safety for me there's been grace for me in the middle of all of this I just want to say thank you I just want to say thank you Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come pray. Come pray. Come, come stand beside somebody. Wrap your arm around them. Pray for them. Let them know, hey, I'm here. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here. Till I leave